0: you'll always have a point where you'll feel that you're not good enough. And the only way to come out of it is that you get deeper, right? You dig deeper, whatever it is, right? Uh, If you don't have that knowledge, which is widespread, the problem will come that, okay, hey, if the issue has come, somebody will reach out to you because you only have that knowledge. There is very tiny percentage of people who learns from different people's experiences, right? Yeah. They are the successful ones uh, and this is very crucial as a manager and leader, right? If you're not giving giving enough time for teams to do things dig deep enough deeper, yeah, like you are constantly doing the feature fact building, which is the feature factory examples. yeah, you will end up with these problems. There is no way to solve it if you are in that zone, right
1: But surprisingly, what they say is that becoming an on-call once a month is not a problem. It's the intensity of that week that people don't
0: like. If you're an on-call engineer, what are you productively doing it? Are you just manning those alerts and just like creating tickets and moving on? Or are you solving those for forever, right?
1: What are you supposed to do? Uh, Are people even clear about this? Or are there scenarios where most of the time, yes, there is an alert, but nobody knows how are they supposed to react to it? Welcome to the podcast Engineering Unplugged with me Bhavin. Thank you to 10x for very graciously sponsoring today's episode. Today we have Rajneesh Prakash, Associate Director of Engineering at Dunzo. I and Rajneesh chat about practical limits to knowledge sharing and alerting strategies amongst other things. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Please subscribe for more such content. And we are live. Hey Rajneesh, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to uh, the podcast, Engineering Unplugged. Um, Last time we had Amit and glad to have you here. Thank you for taking all the time to chat with us. Do you want to quickly introduce yourself?
0: Yeah. So I'm Rajneesh and uh, I lead engineering on partner side at Anjo uh, right now as associate director of engineering. Uh, Been about 11, 12 years in industry. Um, Worked with Walmart, Clear ClearTrip, Cernors. Uh, have been work, working with uh, different uh, kind of tech stacks, right? Java, Golang, uh, Python, ROR. So I have flavor of that understanding, the kind of challenges it throws at. So
1: yeah, let's dive in. Uh, let's talk about an experience where you got challenged um, pretty intensely on the personal front. Uh, typically this can be a few years um, back in your career and this was a situation that was a very limiting situation for you Uh, and that prevented you from growing and then you managed to break through uh, those barriers and today those learnings are one of the very dear learnings for you Um, in this category uh, which what experience do you have what would you like to share So
0: I really have a fair share of those learnings, uh, like uh, at multiple events of my career, right? Yeah. Uh, Like uh, once when, like probably, and I think most of us could relate to that journey because see, uh, at some point we all have felt that there is a stagnancy in your career and you want to break out of that ceiling. And so I think first six years when I was in first two companies and it was becoming a little mundane, uh, had a lot more time, uh, like I wanted to, uh, like, I at, at that point I was even exploring, uh, I actually did an startup, uh, on by side, uh, in that sense, oh, so, wow. you know, for a year. So that, that is just to highlight that I had so much of plenty of time to figure out those things as well.
1: Hmm. And,
0: uh, what it happens that then usually you are slowing down some of the learnings, which actually comes out of working, right and working intensely, going deeper in the ecosystem. And that that was the point when I uh, actually decided to move to a startup, right? To have a like learning, which is coming at a very fast pace. And I was pretty much aware that I probably will not succeed. Right. Uh, Like I had that fear from the beginning itself. So cracking the interview and which we most prepare for is a different aspect of the job, right? Yeah. But doing working is a different aspect altogether. And while I got the job, I was still scared in my head that, hey, how, how am I going to do? And when I started getting it done, so the first project I got there was to break down the monolith and uh, breaking it down Microsoft. Was, uh, like it was to be scaling. Uh, uh, like I think we were looking at Forex scale, which was coming too, right? And there were uh, sales events which was coming up. So we had to start right. preparing our ecosystem and that. And uh, I was like, in my head, uh, I was just saying to myself, like, how how am I going to do that? The people around me, even the probably relatively junior people felt that like they had so much of deep knowledge, right? And I was like coming with a surface knowledge and still had to do so much. Uh, So it was pretty challenging first figuring out those understanding domain, understanding people, understanding the kind of complexity which comes in. I was also transitioning between the tech stack for the last one year I was working in Perl and then suddenly I had to move to Java and then the mm-hmm. spring and springboard. I had never touched. I had worked in Java and starts and pass. So it was again a learning curve there. I yeah. started using. And so when we decided to, build well, break it to new microservices, we also decided that we will be asynchronous. We will have event driven architecture. And we took the Kafka layer on that. And uh, just to avoid that kind of, uh, overall learning, right? Which learning curves comes up. What we did that we built a wrapper library on top of it so that the, the consumption across the organization becomes easier. And we built it uh, through a paradigm called reactive Java, which is a functional flavor in Java, right? Now, yeah. learning curve for me was like getting back to Java, learning again, learning Spring Boot. And getting to depth of it because I'm the one who is leading the project, and people around me need my guidance. So, and then they're learning the functional paradigm as well. And so it was a like altogether a different set of challenge, right? Uh, and the only thing when in hindsight we like I look at, I figure that uh what helped me was getting deeper right like it was not just a surface level knowledge that okay hey you how do you use this project reactor library in your project or how do you build a crud application using the uh this right uh, yeah it was like what kind of challenges the design went through the domain understanding what is the do- domain boundary like when you're breaking down the uh, monolith what boundaries do you decide for, uh, so like, I think the whole monolith was capturing the payments entity, the booking entity, all, all together, right. Not getting into specific domain model, but like it was all captured together. And when you're separating out, you still like eventual product, which will come out still very far and you have to run the system in parallel to which is like, right. So yeah. you're, when you're breaking down, you're taking incremental steps. And then you're deciding the ownership of those entities as well at the same time. So the complexity, not only from the learning part, but also uh, it starts to become that, how do you, whatever you have learned, how do you impart that to whole team right? when you're building? Because if it's just contained within you, like then you are the single point of failure when you call it a distributed system. right? Either like whatever happens, and and it's not it's a very bad state to be in when uh, uh and as a manager when I started practicing some of this, right? Yeah, right, what happens when you take a leave, right? For a week and then you come back and see, you see like what kind of challenges your team is struggling with and what kind of problem you're facing. And then you know down and solve for those, right? And same thing happens as a engineer, also, right? If the uh the context and the awareness is not spread out, right. And that's where it's imparting that knowledge, what you have garnered, the coaching, like we usually talk about the KT's and uh, like uh, the documentation, like formal ways of coaching, right? Like yeah. documentation, KT's, et cetera, that are obviously very helpful uh, in longer run, but in shorter run, what works is like talking to people, right? And informal chats. That like, like you go out a uh, tea break, you go out a uh, uh, chai break, or you go out a uh, lunch break, and there is a group, right? And I, and like I'm not a tea lover, like I, I don't actually have it, but I still used to walk with people. Yeah, it, that bits of knowledge is like which comes with the context of being in the system, right? It will never come if you just learning some system design aspect, some uh, theoretical knowledge that will never come. It was like, for for example, one anecdotal example I have is uh, one day on 31st December, which is like uh, from any commerce website, 31st and 1st are like sale events. Yes. Uh, The classical problem was the ID generation problem, which broke down. So there was a script which broke down on 31st. And uh, that was because uh, the script was written in a way that it used to reset at certain frequency at certain number. And that overflowed the limit because the script had a failure, and then they did not have a monitoring on it. So that those are like classical problems which you will never hear in theory, right? These will only come with someone's experiences. That how did you tackle that kind of problem? Like we had to be aware at available at eleven p.m. when people are going at a party, being ready to the party, welcoming the new year on balance. we are welcoming that hey ID generation has broken. Now we got to fix it in a short time, right? Stop your party. Right. And so like, and how do you deal with that problem? How do you bring it up? And uh, the learnings out of it that, hey, what kind of monitoring we going to have on it? That this never comes up, right? Uh, or how do you solve, like, actually, right? What are different uh, design solutions to solve that, right? Uh, and what are different, like, like design solutions are very subjective. Like, uh, we all talk about the excellent design solutions, but in practical, you always have a trade-offs, right? Yes. You're sometimes trading off with the time, sometimes trading with the cost and like you are figuring out what's best in that scenario. So in hindsight, if you look at whatever system we have built in last 10 years, probably you could do a lot more different now, right? Having that exposure and experiences. Yeah. So I think it's. The key, I would put it that uh, the learnings and the challenges was that uh, you'll always have a point where you'll feel that you're not good enough. And the only way to come out of it is that you get deeper, right? You dig deeper, whatever it is, right? If it is a technology, if it is a language, uh, or it's a problem which like of domain, which you're not able to understand how to solve. Yeah, You need to understand like very very well you need to so uh, like uh, one thing which i really remember very very vividly that i even had gone deeper into project reactor every single class file how they have implemented the reactive uh, paradigm and functional paradigm and that is what helped me to model at how we are consuming and building a library on top of it so hmm. i don't think that people like uh, nowadays when i see like people actually just consume it than just understanding the actually deeper layer. So my input there would be that like just to come out, you will have to dig really deeper and then figure out a way, how do you impart that knowledge to wider audience, right? So right. let me
1: get this right. You are saying that you were new uh, in this company, in this new job, the technology was new to you. Right. The programming paradigm, which is the functional paradigm was new to you. Right. Uh, the framework that you are working with, uh, Spring Boot was right. new to you. Correct. Uh, and the domain was also, uh, you know, quite complex and you had to uh, re- break down this monolith and uh, extract out microservices out of it.
0: Correct.
1: Correct. In all of this frenzy, the challenge was not the newness of the language, the newness of the framework, and uh, even the newness of the programming paradigm. The right. challenge was that people were keeping um, their thoughts in their own head, and there was not enough knowledge sharing that was happening, and that was causing the system to not grow further. Yeah,
0: yeah. In some wow. senses, uh, yeah, uh, that is what it is. Because see, like with initially, what when we started building out, we were able to build uh, right with uh, like one people leading or I leading it, I having the knowledge. Yeah, like it's not just the building part, right? System going to last beyond that three months when you're building, right? And um, six months when you're building. And, and then you're going to do a feature addition. You're going to do uh, the enhancement on top of it. You're going to do maintenance of it. And that's where that having the knowledge of it will really, really help grow your teams, right? And uh, such for example, uh, if you don't have that knowledge, which is widespread, the problem will come that, okay, hey, if the issue has come, Somebody will reach out to you because you will only have that notice If it is not widespread, so hmm. it's important that 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 challenge is uh, addressed early on when you are really keeping that in vision, right?
1: So if you are not sharing, it becomes like things are definitely going to break. That's the nature of the software, right? right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when it breaks, if you are the only one who knows about it, then one you will be woken up or you know be interrupted from whatever you are doing. Um, uh, but also it is very stressful for the team as a whole, um, uh, you might be available. Yes, you will answer it, but, uh, um, it just adds to the stress because the team as a whole now has to come out of what they're doing uh-huh. and jump into firefighting this situation, which seemingly they don't know like anything about. And All only right. one person knows about it. Do you see people make this uh, mistakes today? Uh, mistake of not sharing uh, the thoughts, the um, mental models uh, yeah, of what they are building. I,
0: I think, uh, like to fair share, in last two three years, right? After we have become mostly hybrid and remote, this has this problem has actually gotten little worser, right? Um, because the informal way of uh, sharing actually have almost diminished, right? Uh, like, yeah. like, like when we were interns, when we were like junior engineers, we had a way to reach out to our senior engineers and just ask candidly, right? Yeah, you could just
1: walk up to somebody on their desk, uh, yeah. just have a chai conversation, water cooler conversation.
0: Like I, I still remember like mm-hmm. my first job. Like I had a senior DBA, uh, and I just went to him and asked, like, how is this query engine optimization working, right? Like how is this query tuning is happening? yeah was able to explain it and i didn't have to read any article and like that still stays with me
1: yeah imagine reading about it for like 3 hours and understanding like 20% of it uh, Correct. yeah so
0: like that kind of in last 3 4 years whatever generation has come in job right and at least for like probably a year before covid right yeah. i think they haven't experienced that sort of informal imparting of knowledge and that's the biggest uh, risk i see at this point and how do and the biggest problem statement that we should address at some, in some ways. um, But like, and, 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 also the second set of people, which I see why this is a problem for that, obviously it's remote, it's widened. The second is people are mostly worried about uh, like, Hey, am I building system from scratch? Right. And, uh, and, and that is only because they get a lot of breadth, right because you need to write a repository layer. You need to write a data layer. You need to uh, write the access layer, like all, all of those, right? And yeah. the you to, uh, choose like different technology stacks and uh, different technology elements. So your breadth really, really increases. And that's what people have assumed that that is the only way of learning things at a very rapid pace. It does though. It, it's, it, it's not, uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't do.
1: Yeah, for sure. It,
0: it doesn't give you the deeper knowledge. And then what happens that you become in the cyclic chain that, okay, I've learned this project. Now I need to move on to something shiny again, right? Like they, you're not getting to depth of like, uh, problems, which you can actually surface by being at the same problem for a consistently longer period of time, right? Uh, and that is what I see, uh, like, uh, like. There's some people who have a stayed like in some organizations, right? Like yeah. people have stayed for four years, five years, and they know these kind of problems. But uh, like only that gets uncovered when there is an on-call issue, there is a SOS which comes in, and they they are called in RCA calls, they are called in that SOS calls, and they tell you, hey, this is how we can debug. And by then, you have lost the half an hour of business, one hour of business. Half of the people who are on-call are debugging it; they have lost their head by then, right? <laughs> It's 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 just because if those people have put in their foot and that's where I feel the also the understanding the responsibility that what is senior engineers, what are the architects' responsibility, right? We always talk about uh, building this, things
1: from scratch. Correct. Right? Yeah.
0: So we always talk about this coding and non-coding architects, right? Like how much one should code, code, right? Yeah. I I don't think the I in my head at least in uh, my principles. Uh, I don't think there is a contrast to it that you should be coding or not coding, right? You can be coding. You should be able to coding is like, by default, that's the com- competency you should have, right? Yeah. If you're not choosing to code, like what are you doing Like is important. How are you spreading that knowledge to your teams, right? That is the key as a senior engineer and architect. Like, what are you doing? What are How are you putting the checkpoints that everybody is understanding? Everybody is developing that kind of the learning which you have had over the years. Like, otherwise, what is the difference between an engineer who has two years experience and other four years? It's just the difference that they have seen a different types of problem statements and they have seen for relatively longer, right? Yeah. So they would have seen some sort of challenges which comes only by solving that problem consistently, right? And right. with the which comes up. So I think that's the key difference, which I see that these are two things because of the remote when people are become not getting that informal way of learning. The second is the senior engineers probably are not aware that how should they impart these kind of uh, knowledges and what is the benefit out of it and what is that like? And probably it's not finally ingrained, not uh, put in bullet points as a responsibility that, Hey, you are going to do this. But I think this is pretty important and pretty key to anybody succeeding at dog.
1: Awesome. You mentioned very interesting points, Rajneesh. Uh, so to bring out some of the nuggets, right? Yeah. Uh, you're saying that people don't share and then it leads to uh, production issues and uh, production issues, which the on-call is not able to debug because they don't know the intricacies of the system that they are on-call for um uh, this is definitely stressful we talked about it yeah um, uh,
0: just, but just, also, just one second there uh, i just uh-huh. want to add one more thing there yeah so usually right like what i've seen uh i mean again it differs from companies to companies right and kind of what kind of processes you have in place um i really hate when we are on a sos call and that calls doesn't get solved within five to ten minutes right and we don't find things like, oh man, like how 30, many times? Right? How it's, many times has it happened? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's actually, I feel like that's a failure on ourselves, right? That we have not been able to bring the team or ourselves to yes. a- ability where we can solve anything in the next five to 10, ten minutes, right? And though we know the system all. So that's yes. where the gap is, right? Like if we if it takes something to solve for 30 minutes, we are really not doing well at the team.
1: Yeah, bang on. So this is what we are talking about. The learning side yeah. of it um, and the consequences of not learning and not spreading the knowledge. So one, it is stressful. But yeah. second, also, you don't end up solving the on-call issue uh, uh, in a reasonably short amount of time, in a few minutes. Uh, I have seen SOS calls that have spanned across hours, two, yeah. yeah. two, three, four hours. And for four hours, people are on the call and it, it's like just so stressful. But uh, you also mentioned something very, very interesting that because it is stressful for the people who are involved in those calls, by the end of it, they have lost the zeal to learn from it completely. And um, um, in most cases, people don't end up learning even from those uh, on-call situations. So one thing is to proactively share your knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And you are saying people should do that. And um, uh, water cooler conversations and chance conversations, chance conversations are a way to do it, yeah. uh, which is harder in the COVID times and the hybrid times. Right. But those are the proactive knowledge sharing. Mm-hmm. When the chance interactions through SOS calls are happening. And you actually have a chance to learn even in the hybrid settings, because you are forced into those situations. People don't end up learning because they are consumed into um, the stress of it, the stress of not knowing and then solving. Why do people not share? Like why? I mean, this seems like a very obvious point, right? Uh, Why? Why are people repeating this same behavior again and again? What do you see as a limiting uh, factor or limiting belief?
0: Uh, I I don't think it's related to individuals, right? It's also, uh, they need this formal coaching. So, a lot of times when we say, right, um, that, uh, like, hey, uh, we, whatever, we should learn from others' experiences, right? But most often than not, all of us actually make those mistakes and learn from those experiences. And we don't end up like, there is very tiny percentage of people who learns from different people's experiences right yeah they are the successful ones right but still like the wider audience 80 to 90 percent to my belief uh, is like still you tell them like hey this is not the right direction they'll do that they'll learn from it and then th- that learning will stay for them with them so i think it's somewhere that factor also at play that people uh unless they get into such situation for example i'm talking about these problems now right when i have had experiences of these problems facing yeah. as i see as a manager and um, as a leader both right um but i'm not sure if five when i was like 3 years ex- in it industry like i would have reacted and i would have same kind of ex- uh, understanding right about it so i think that's one the second part is i i think we do need the formal uh, kind of a responsibility tagging, right? And formal, so we always have like for managers, uh, we tell that these are your responsibilities, that you got to do the stakeholder management, you got to own the execution, you got to own the people management, right? You define everything, right? Like every uh, competency metrics. For senior engineers, for, uh, and uh, like I'm again speaking primarily probably to, the company which are growing up, right? Because they are still yeah. finding the frameworks of like, how do they build company? How do they uh, build organization? And that's where this formal uh, responsibility tagging, like what should one engineer be responsible for? What are they, their metrics? and And how should they be? Co- it's not just about drafting a constitution around that. Hey, you're going to do the mentoring, right? It's also about how are you coaching? As a, as, a, as a manager, how am I tell, telling my team leads that, hey, you're going to take care. You're going to talk to teams about this, right? Whatever learnings we have had. Like, how do you, how are you doing that? How, yeah, I, you have to
1: lead by example. I mean, if people have okay. never seen it happen, you have to do it with them. Uh, and then they'll learn.
0: Right. And that's where you, uh, and the second part is like, you as you rightly said, you lead by example, you create that opportunity. This, uh, and the second setup is like, how do you create that window for them, right? Uh, and this is very crucial as a manager and leader, right? If you are not giving giving enough time for teams to do things dig deep enough deeper, yeah, like you are constantly doing the feature fact building, which is the feature factory examples. Yeah, you will end up with these problems. There is no way to solve it if you are in that zone, right? Like, so you will have to figure out a room like as a leader how your teams find that window that where they're investing in themselves, right? And that's where he, these are two key things. Like how are you coaching and how are you giving them that room to grow? Kind
1: you know, of... I was wondering when you were talking Rajneesh, um, yeah. that in college, what is the default behavior? Let's say you're going through, uh, your engineering college, your BCA, MCA college. Um, uh, is there a framework or is, are there KPIs that tells you that you have to sit with your fellow students and, uh. Uh, you know, discuss things with them. Not really, but people do it. People naturally end up doing it because the environment allows them that time to do it. They are, uh, you know, learning in the same classroom. And then there are lunch breaks, there are tea breaks and uh, you know, whatnot, there are labs and you have all sorts of like interaction uh, opportunities with people. I wonder why that doesn't continue when, um, you know, people come on the job, is that because that is taken away? As you rightly mentioned, we have all witnessed it that sometimes, you know, especially in the early and the mid-stage startups, um, things can get quite busy. And um, um, the focus can mostly be on feature building, that you have to write code, you have to, you know, ship PRs, you have to ship features to production. And that's the sole focus. And many times the... Uh, success metrics are also measured around just how much you ship or how many features have you given out. And um, uh, so, in a sense, we have taken away that liberty. And that's where your point comes in that because we have taken away that liberty, the onus is now back onto the leadership to actually put it back in and create that time for people, create those opportunities for people to be able to chat with others and uh, spread the knowledge.
0: Yeah, I I think you brought a very right example of colleges, right? And while you said that, there is no KRA uh, and KPIs, right? Yeah. But there is like, at least in Indian construct, it is that we are driven through the mark system. We have a framework which is being chased that you have past examinations. And so that's your KPIs. uh, And that's what is giving you motivation around that, okay, I have to study.
1: No, but you can very well sit in a room and just study by yourself, right?
0: Why would you interact with people? Um, no, So I'm coming to that. That is the second part, which is told about the environment and environment is like giving you the plenty of free, free time where you could do things, right? Your five hours is the class window where you are studying, and we are limited. And beyond that, it's your time. Either you study or you don't study. You gossip with your friend or you talk about the system at death, right? That's a, like, it's not that always you're studying, you're gossiping also. So it's the freedom of the choices which is making people do different things and invest in that, right? Whoever is uh, trying to learn. So taking that same example, uh, now if you're talking, like you just mentioned about uh, that le- leadership, owners being on leadership, which is rightly like, I would say completely true. I would just add one more thing. Uh, so there, how have teams and people have become busy? There are two aspects of it. One is uh, the company or the uh, team has become a feature factory. It's just focusing. And that's where the leader has to solve it. Second set of it is as individuals also, I see engineers have become tad busy in two things. One, in the race of growth uh, and the growth by switching the companies. So then you're in constant mode of preparation for the next job. Yeah. Right. So if you're getting a learning, which is, as I said, that the breadth, you're doing your signy work, which is building a new service or a new feature, then you're happy. And as soon as that diminishes, you're constantly looking at uh the next set of things which you could do either inside or the outside. And that is the constant mode of like it's a journey for you, right? Like you're constantly hopping from one thing to the other. And and that's where you are like not invested too much enough in learning what you have already had at your place. Right. So instead of you are prioritizing something else. So I think that's also something as an individual, uh, you will have to like, uh, like that will be my recommendation to like all of the engineers or like, uh, like, which I also try and do that. How am I investing and in learning wherever I am? Right. And probably I am not great set of example because even I have switched every two, two or three years, right? Yeah. I still would like to extend it a bit further. But uh, having said that, like the only realization I have is that uh, like instead of me trying to prepare for an interview, if I could invest that time in digging deeper and understanding the domain and uh, understanding the current ecosystem, like not always you have solved all the problem, right? And uh, and going wider, going deeper in your ecosystem, I think that will have an insane value add to your growth, right? And I, I think I heard somewhere uh, somebody saying uh, that we always are in constant trace of this monetary compensation revival. That okay, hey, I hope I'll get X growth or Y growth, and that's why we are constantly preparing for interviews. I think if you start thinking ourselves like hey, like what is my value proposition today and what will take me to get to x amount and what will require me what kind of skill and competency will require like it could be ownership it could be mentoring not just a skill competency it could be the depth in the same system i could actually go ahead and talk to my manager with and my leaders with that hey i bring that value addition now like and i probably deserve that x or y compensation so there are different ways to do the same conversation it's uh, it's also that people don't open up right and uh, like and that's the sad uh, truth about it that uh, and it's both ways like uh, the leader versus the uh, team like if they don't open up enough they don't know enough that like what kind of motivation each one has i think these are the problems which crop up
1: yeah yeah the culture definitely flows top down so if you have a leader who is open who is you know, open to, uh, like fair criticism, um, constructive criticism as well, that goes a long way in, uh, people becoming comfortable. And yeah, of course there is uh, like, couldn't agree with you more. There is a lot of value in staying at your current place and figuring out how can you go to the next level while staying here? The benefits are that, you know, the systems, but also, you know, the people and you have built your relationships and you have grown your network in the current company. So that can be a good support system to push you up. Um, yeah. And for you to take that uh, support while you're growing and while you're tackling other challenges, if you move to a new place, then the system is new. The people are new. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a different struggle. Uh, let's go back to the production incident uh, related conversation that we were having, right? Right. So many people, Rajneesh, that I chat with, more often than not, their frustration is around, oh, my on-call schedule is so brutal, and uh, I am an on-call once every month, once every six weeks, because typically in the small companies, teams are small, and you have four to six people team, and on-calls are weekly. Um, but surprisingly, what they say is that becoming an on-call once a month is not a problem. Right. It's the intensity of that week that people don't like. And um, it goes back to, as you said, the uh, lack of knowledge sharing that happens, but also lack of sound approach to solving some of these problems. Yeah. Uh, Right. And by far, um, I mean, there are a few, like there are a few aspects to, uh, you know, these conversations. One is that it is stressful for people. But second is the amount of time that is wasted. And by far, people waste so much time in just handling uh, on-call stuff. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and on-call stuff that could have been very, very easily prevented. Very easily prevented with uh, right set of playbooks, with right set of knowledge uh, sharing sessions. Uh, and... Uh, even water cooler conversations, you know, there is only so much of structured documentation that you can do. Um, um, so the point I'm trying to make here is the time wasted in solving production incident uh, incidents. Um, and what would follow from that is how do you save that time? Yeah. Right? One is to do knowledge sharing, but second is uh, alerting and um. Uh. You know, simple alerting, simple monitoring. Yeah.
0: Uh.
1: What are the challenges in that area? Uh, that
0: yeah, you... I think so. Um. Uh, actually, on call process is uh like, is it like it evolves at a different maturity level with the team also, right? Like the kind of the team which you have been able to build and what kind of maturity level they have, in the kind of context. Right. Which again, um, like comes from your knowledge sharing and others, but from beyond that, right? Like I have seen some examples that where team actually don't need a lot more context and the on-calls life have been really, really easy. And that's only achieved through like the kind of system health, which you can monitor. And like, like there are proper CICD where the, the code itself is not accidentally moving in. Right and uh, like there are enough test coverages which are accidental mistakes are being provided like uh, avoided completely so those those are the ways the second aspect of it is that which is really really challenging right and uh, i mean as an encore what are the like things which we look at one is like operational issues which comes in the system issues that is the second category right and then third is like the domain context issues right to solve some of these systems each of those category either the operational issues or the system issues
1: what are what are the examples can you take an example of an operational issue a system issue and a domain issue
0: so for example let's say uh uh, like in in any commerce website right yeah Uh, if there was a booking which was happening and your delivery was supposed to happen now on that delivery if ETA was showing X minute and now suddenly there are the great delta it is right now like you don't know how that ETA is being computed, right? And for to solve that, do you need a person who knows the ETA ecosystem, how that is built, how is that being derived, the logic of it, what are different components involved, are there third-party systems involved? Do, do you understand that enough? Right? So that's the knowledge part of it the second is that do you have a proper monitoring system in place right that which can detect all of these anomalies and tell you that okay these are the problems so you don't even actually need to debug that right, that like these problems would arise the systems can tell you themselves that okay hey there is a deviation in how the external de- de- like external system which was giving you an input now has a deviation in what kind of response time or the sla breaches it is happening Now if you are able to derive and connect both operational issues and this, like you don't need the domain context at that point. And you can just say that system has deteriorated on probably the third party component and you can probably work with that and you could try and solve and focus on the root cause, right? Then first figuring out where does the problem lie? Like most of our time spent, you rightly talked about our time being wasted, right? And the wastage is only where we are, uh, like it's not to fix the root cause, right? If you're able to fix the root cause, that's the right investment actually, right? The problem is yeah, the time taken to find the root cause is like huge and that's the wastage. Every time you'll come back to the same, right? And if you don't have a contact, like the next time the new on-call will come, he'll not have that shared contact. He'll come and still debug and take the same amount of time before he reaches to root cause. So that's where the two key elements are like, how do you mature a systems where you're monitoring their health really, really? It's also complex. This as of, as of now, uh, this is a very iterative process, right? That you add some of the like very common understanding alerts, right? What are throughput alerts, the baseline deviations, uh, the RPMs, right? And the latency monitoring. Then you add the very specific custom business domain alerts and then you, like, you would have missed out where the coverage is not 100%, right? And then you missed out on some uses alert and that is causing something else, right? And so it's very iterative in that sense, but at least having fair share of monitoring setup on the quality gate side, um, I think that's, that's a really helpful to reduce this. The other way uh, beyond the monitoring is, like how are you actually investing that on-call time, right? And this applies to, like, as a manager, as a leader to uh, individual, also as an engineer, that if you're an on-call engineer, what are you productively doing it? Are you just manning those alerts and just, like, creating tickets and moving on? Or are you solving those for forever, right? If you're able to do, then probably you're diminishing the kind of the on-call issue which will keep coming, right? Yeah. That's the kind of right intent to solve and be on-call. That... At every single time, I'll reduce the kind of on-call issues which comes the next week. Right. So,
1: are you bandaging the current situation, thereby solving just the current instance of the problem? Or are you so- solving the pattern of the problem, thereby eradicating that pattern uh, for a foreseeable future? Right.
0: right.
1: Uh, let's go back to the three uh, types of issues that we talked about. Uh, operational issue, system issue, and domain issue. The domain issue's example was that uh, let's say there is a domain level number that is being computed let's say an ETA for an order getting delivered and the number is getting computed but it's wrong so there is no exception in the system but the number is coming out to be a clearly clearly wrong value and somebody needs to debug that that's an example of a domain issue Uh, so typically um, let's say a customer or a support team um, maybe a business person who is testing the app is going to raise such an issue a system level issue is uh, as you mentioned that an API's response time is going beyond a certain threshold or uh, the CPU utilization of a database is going above a certain threshold. These are typical system issues. Um, uh, what's an operational issue? Is an operational issue that a particular flow, let's say an order flow in an e-commerce example, failed midway. And that particular ordered uh, order suffered um, exceptions. And now you have to like debug just that one case. So there are real issues, but it's like limited to one order uh, yeah. or a few orders. And that, is that an operational issue?
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, it's a thin boundary at operational domain, right? So I would okay. uh, keep it a mixture. Operational there is probably like, let's say, so every uh, product which you're built has an end user, right? And yeah. it has a supporter ecosystem. Like if you are a marketplace, like there are probably supply economy on the ground, the support system, which is there, right? Uh, if, so user being impacted is one thing, right? Uh, the other is where you, like your support ecosystem is not able to function to serve users, right? And uh, like um. it could be like your op- like operators, which if you have to help them out, right? Uh, it could be your like, let's say if you are, uh, in store or you are, uh, like if you are a travel booking system like let's say in that case probably you uh, your booking agents which they are facing the issues right so in a, like inherently your you users are impacted but this is because your uh, support ecosystem is facing challenge right so those are also the operational issues uh, and,
1: issue.
0: and so now, now more real time in nature to be solved right yes because, because those are urgent like there is a business revenue loss there are user trust loss and and all experiences which are going for toss so i think that that i would put it as a operational issues
1: okay so now let's go into the nature of these three issues as you said operational issues are more real time and right. it is a problem that's happening right now to somebody uh, maybe a support operator maybe a specialized end user right. and you have to solve the issue for them um and i am looking at this now from saving the team's time uh, in solving on-call issues. Uh, Like, if we were to reduce the time that the team spends on the on-call stuff, where would we want to attack? So, operational issues, uh, them being one-off, are they more difficult in terms of predicting beforehand and hence it is harder to put alerts on them? Is that the correct read? Uh, that there is a limit to how many, how much alerting can you put on the operational issues. But the other two, the system issues and the domain issues, for example, if a wrong ETA is being shown, if the ETA is above okay. a certain threshold, it's clearly, clearly a wrong value. And yeah. you would want to get alerted right. for somebody to check. Uh, and of course, the disk or the CPU utilizations, if they are going uh, or the response times, if they are going or breaching thresholds, uh, then it's very easy to put alerts on them. But the operational yeah. issues are much harder to create alerts for.
0: Yes. Uh, I mean, so uh, operational issues has too many nuances, right? Like uh, we talk about distributed system and that that's itself is a challenge. Like it's a d- distributed human ecosystem, right? Yeah. We talk about operational system. So there is a system involved, there are humans involved and there are different ways people would try, right? Um, and there would be a different kind of uh, issues which can come up. So there are extent at which you can think and set the business alerts and the operational alerts, but beyond that, you will still end up facing new kind of scenarios every time, right? Uh, it's uh, so if I have to uh, talk about why it is harder and how you can attack some of these and like uh, and do I think if on call should be engineers should prioritize this or not? See. I think as a principle, uh, operational issues, I do not like on-call engineers to really attack uh, because that's something which is like, it's reactive way of solving, right? Yes. You don't have an SOP, it's going to take a little longer. If engineer comes and we don't know the problem, then you will end up debugging and it's a real-time problem. So you're like losing that business So I really don't like uh, that operational issues that on-call is spending time. Uh, the way in which I would like to approach, and there are fears here, is that how much of SOPs you are creating with all of these issues, so that, like, let's say there is a support engineering, P- PSEs, team, which can automatically do that. How are you uh, telling system to, uh, like, how you have built system capabilities to heal itself, right? That those uh, issues do not crop up the next time, right? So that's another way of thinking, right? That for example, let's say, uh, there was operational issues because, uh, and, and mind you, like operational issues also are a function of system issue in some senses, right? Something yeah. is going because at the, at your backend or at a system level, there is something which is not right. Right. Beat with the logic or beat with some of the scaling challenges or beat with some of the system health. Right now. So all of these are symptoms and the symptoms gets reported as operational issues. Right. Okay, hey, I'm facing a challenge. No, yeah, so
1: you're you're saying that an operational issue is basically a gap in the system, whether it's a long tail case that you haven't handled because you thought it was never going to occur, but yeah. now it has started occurring um, uh, or some uh, simple technical case like a null handling, etc. missing yeah. in yeah. some of the places and that causes that flow to fail. And mm-hmm. the way to fix the operational issue is to basically take uh, a bug and just patch it so that yeah. it doesn't occur again. Uh, and there is little alerting that you can do. So I want to shift the focus back to the alerting. And the point that I think we are both sub- substantiating here yeah. is that operational issues you can't really monitor because you could, the, then the fix is not, um, you know, um, uh, to like the fix is in the code. Correct. You have to Correct. patch the code. So if you knew about it beforehand, you would have patched it. Correct. And Correct. in either case, uh, the monitoring and the alerting system doesn't play a role in operational issues. If we go to the system and the business uh, domain sort of issues, do you see people do the right alerting uh, on them? Uh, I mean, like, do the alerts exist? And if they exist, if they don't, like that's a whole different problem by itself. But if it does, then do people know how to respond to those alerts? Let's say I got, let's take a very simple example, Uh, a particular API. Response time is more than uh, you know. The historical P ninety five is uh, thirty seconds, and right. for last five minutes, the average response time is more than um, uh, sorry, I, I meant thirty milliseconds. And the like for last um, uh, five minutes, the average has gone above uh, the historical P ninety five. So now the average is more than thirty milliseconds, mm-hmm. and you get an alert. Right.
0: Uh,
1: another example could be that a database uh, CPU is you know, beyond 80%, right. and it has sustained 80% more than 80% for about five minutes, and you yeah. get an alert. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? Uh, are people even clear about this, or are there scenarios where most of the time, yes, there is an alert, but nobody knows how are they supposed to react to it?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's again uh, team maturity level differs from uh, team to team, and that's how like people would behave. Like. I've seen uh, kind of challenges where uh, people actually struggle to figure out what metrics they should watch out for. Like it should be the P95 and what kind of threshold they should have. Like for timeout, what kind of uh, like should you set? Uh, in some cases, there are very high thresholds of timeouts, right? Yeah. Like that's that's the really, really going to cause you trouble someday, right? And so it's very uh, subjective to the kind of team's maturity level as well, that how do they understand the alerting ecosystem? Uh, how do they understand the alerts? Right. Like for example, most of the places we either use New Relic or Obsgene, etc. right? Alerting or PagerDuty, right? Which uh, pages the alerts and then you land into New Relic and you look at the metrics. Uh, one part is that understanding what you are measuring, that is one. Right, So that's obviously you have to impart that knowledge and understanding within your team and ensure that every engineer is equipped to understand those uh, metrics, right? Like what you're watching out for. The second set is, which is a little tricky to my mind uh, and little difficult as well is getting the coverage complete, right? Like usually you start with uh, the basic set of alerts, right? And then again, if you're part of future factory, you're not focusing too much on this and then you suddenly get entangled into uh, like building on top of this and you have built an extension and you have not built the alerting for it. So every time you are sipping something, are you reevaluating your alerts? Like I don't think that happening a lot. And that's the gap, right? So we might have built a system which was like ready, which was serving well. And we built the alerts uh, for that. We had that in place and that was serving well. But suddenly you have added a feature, which has killed 10x growth now on your APIs, which you have onboarded few more partners, which are consuming your APIs. Now, like if you're not modifying your alerts ecosystem in that respect, like again, you going to cause that trouble, right? Uh, and that's the gap, which I see that every time. And that's also true for the... Different paradigm of testing that are you do performance testing, load testing, etc. before you're launching something, a new component or which, uh, which, uh, in certain moment, you may not be able to do, but, uh, at least the alerting and monitoring, if you're not really looking at things that will make life more difficult. And I think I wish there was a easier way and a better way, which could automatically do it probably with, uh. Now, so much of uh, focus on uh, generative AI, which understands your ecosystem, probably some tool can come up and bridge this gap that which can automatically regenerate your alerts and rewire the metrics and re-adjust. And yeah. Someday that can happen. Uh, so I think that will bring down the context uh, and the need for the teams also. But I mean, they need to understand, but yeah.
1: Yeah, the scenarios that you mentioned, I think they are hard to... Uh, you know, occur in large companies where the process, the ecosystem is very, very mature and the SDLC process is quite mature. Um, And the cycle times are long. So you typically don't ship anything in uh, the time windows which are measured in days, Uh, like a day, two days, three days. Uh, They'll typically take at least a week and that leaves some time. But startups, when, uh, you know, things can get moving very, very fast, um, overnight, if you know some, uh, let's say a marketing event, uh, etc., goes viral, you are suddenly going to have a lot of traffic and traffic probably beyond the point that you haven't expected your system to get, uh, more traffic than you ever expected to get, and in those cases, yeah, like it is not possible, um. Uh, for people to, you know, preemptively think about all of those scenarios. So one extreme is not having any alerts. Another extreme is having all the alerts beforehand, having performance testing beforehand and um, you know, very, very structured case. And what sits in the middle is uh, the startup um, early and the mid-stage startups where uh, you can set some hygiene alerts maybe automatically uh, and um, uh, but w- what you're saying, and I want to amplify this point is that when an issue occurs, never let, I mean, one thing is to solve the issue, but never let that opportunity slide to set more alerts so that you don't get reactively pulled into, uh, the firefighting. And at least the alert will tell you that something, um, uh, is happening. And go look at it. You don't, you don't have to wait for somebody to escalate it. Um, why don't people do it? Uh, seems like very, you know, natural and very obvious thing to do. Why don't people set alerts? Is it just lack of, um, awareness, uh, or is it the lack of technique and the skills or is it lack of time? Uh, and they are, as you said, feature factory, just love that term, um, that they're part of a feature factory.
0: Yeah, I think it's a combination of each, right? Uh, and so uh, I don't think it's a problem which is uh, like, uh, if you see like every team facing, right? Like, It's very uh, in pockets. You will find it some people, some teams are really mature and doing well with their alerts and monitoring. Some teams might struggle. Depends on the kind of maturity level, as I said. Uh, and also the combination of, what kind of time they're investing in this kind of practices, right? Uh, like, and again, I don't want to use a feature factory, right? Like, it becomes the catchy word for this uh, whole chat, I guess. Uh, feature factory. Feature factory. Right. So, uh, so they like, if you're able to get the time to invest in it, right? And yeah. So let's say you got the alert and you have prepared the AIs that I have to review the alert, but are you having the time to look at it, review, and get it, Right. And are you fighting for like? And sometimes, right? Like, and uh, we talked about the owners' lies on leaders to create that room. It's also lies on senior engineers to fight for these rooms. Right? That hey, no, I'm gonna do this. Right? Ask for that time. Right? If you don't ask, like, like, uh, like, it's okay. Owners lies on engineer leaders, but if they are not focused and they are focused on some other problems, you also can step up and take that. Right? That hey, we need to invest this time here. Right? So that, that also goes the second way. Um, th- the third thing which I would say is, which is the difficult part, right? Uh, is the lack of awareness and like the complexity for the complete coverage, right? Like we work with so many moving components, right? Like our enterprise posted on a different third party on a cloud, uh, how much of understanding we have like of that ecosystem, what happens if, like, let's say we most often we use GCP and AWS and Azure, right? Like yeah. If some bits moves on their side of ecosystem, obviously that's going to impact us. How do you set the monitoring and alerting for those, right? Like, those are like difficult things for everybody to understand of right? Uh, like you are, you at least can relate your service layers that, okay. Hey, these are my services. These are my APIs. These are my response time. These are my SLS, which I'll monitor. But if you go deeper, there are different ways and different components at which we can do monitoring. And I think that's where the awareness and complexity is little wide and a little vast and people miss out a few things here and there in those areas. is is my sense like why it is little tricky and why people I don't think that I will attribute that people don't intend to do it. It's just that that is a little trickier to do it.
1: Oh, interesting. So you are saying even if people have the time uh, to set up these alerts and let's say the understanding also is there where they understand uh, the AWS or the GCP or the Azure ecosystem, whatever cloud they are using even then the challenge is not the time or uh, you know, the skill but the challenge is the breadth. Um, One um, example is uh, lambdas and uh, cloud functions as they're called called in the GCP uh, world. Um, uh, How many people would know how to set up correct monitoring on uh, your cloud functions and lambdas? Mm -hmm. Uh, The correct way is to first, like you have have to have the correct setup. Uh, Let's say you have reasonably good setup and there is some max number of instances that you have set. But, um, uh, the correct alerting would then be that if your, uh, invocation count is consistently at that max for a few minutes, that's a red flag because, uh, the auto scaling of the cloud function is, uh, choking because it's consistently at the max and there is a good chance that there is more load behind it. So mm-hmm. you are soon going to see lags yeah. in that asynchronous processing. And what you're saying is that there are now so many components, a few that I can name is APIs, uh, of course, the APIs, then um, um, the databases, caches, uh, different types of databases, uh, different types of caches, then uh, the pub sub system, the queuing system, um, the asynchronous monitoring, uh, asynchronous, uh, like um, um, processing, um, whether it is uh, lambda or cloud functions and then there are uh, you know batch systems um, spring batch or you know celery uh, where there are workers and basically the breadth um, of this is so wide that uh, and it's an evolving ecosystem so breadth is one concern but these components are also getting new capabilities um, every week and every month and how easy or hard is, is it for an engineer or a team of engineers to keep up with those responsibilities, uh, those, um, uh, feature sets, uh, yeah. that these components get over time. Yeah. And that makes it harder, um, um, a natural step would be to have some sort of a default set of alerts for each one of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, out of the box.
0: Yeah. I, I just said that, like, I'm hoping that probably at some point with all of this, uh, evolution and AI, probably. Uh, and before that, Gen AI, like I you said, there could be a default alerts for each kind of this KPI and metrics. Uh, that's one. But you know, like the more nuanced would be very subjective, which can understand your ecosystem and then uh, try and adjust its alert for like default thresholds also. So I think if that comes up, probably going to be really, really helpful for all the ecosystem.
1: What would this product typically do? So um, as I'm thinking more, uh, one, it'll help you set the alerts, but... Uh, I think reviewing the alerts is also a hard part where where if creating the alerts itself was hard, um, uh, being able to review them periodically is going to be even harder because how would you even enumerate on all of the alerts? Half of them are going to be in your cloud. Half of them are going to be in your APM system. Uh, The APM system itself can be very distributed. So maybe for most of it, you're using New Relic or Datadog but yeah. then some of it is on a custom Prometheus with some custom Grafana and some alerts around that Grafana also, and, uh, just all over the place. So the second help that this automated system can have is, um, uh, just centralize the alert management in, uh, one place. And people can at least get a starting point of what all alerts exist in my system, in this one place, um, and get going from there. Interesting. Very interesting. Hmm, What else covered quite a bit. So we started from the challenges that you were facing, which was um, like the biggest challenge and the limiting uh, sort of a situation was that people were not sharing the knowledge and that caused increased MTTRs for production issues. And from there, we talked about, you know the factors which causes on-call teams to get burnt out and get stressed out and how to prevent it and what cultural aspects prevent them uh, from doing those good things. And the importance of alerting, which you can do like which is a preventive uh, sort of a measure to ensure your system's health uh, and why people don't get time. Which the breadth of the components uh is like a challenge. If like, the competency and uh, uh the time is not the challenge, then the breadth is definitely a challenge. Right,
0: right.
1: Um, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Uh looks like you know we have had a good conversation, happy about uh, the layers that it could uncover. In yeah. this conversation, thank you
0: yeah, for, I, I enjoyed it, uh, mostly like how we catch up over, uh, tea or coffee in our break time. right? So it was similar to that conversation where we could just, uh, talk, uh, free, free, right. So really enjoyed that, um, uh, like talking about the kind of, we, uh, we also, I think we had a kind of share kind of problem statements where we have faced these kind of issues. And yeah. Uh, so I think that's why we could relate with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. L- love the, uh, um, uh, you know, impromptu-ness of the conversation, which I have definitely been missing since, uh, you know, the hybrid work started. Yeah. Um, very interesting. And thank you. Thank you for taking out the time today. Uh, love the conversation and would love to have a follow-up. I'm sure there is a lot to talk about. Uh, on a different topic, which is not worth starting today, but would love to have a follow up conversation with you.
0: Sure. Thanks Bhavan. Uh, thanks for having me here. Uh, really looking forward to what kind of content you bring out with us, uh, all the best.
1: Yeah, looking forward. Thank you Rajneesh. If you have listened till here, I hope you have learned something new from experiences of Rajneesh. Do check out today's sponsor 10 They are building a product to make your alert management streamlined. If you have any feedback, please comment or email us at hello at pakanimu.com. Thumbs if you liked it, subs if you loved it. See you guys next time.